Welcome to VGK Today, presented by MGM Rewards, a daily podcast bringing you an inside look at the Vegas Golden Knights 2023 Stanley Cup playoff run. I'm Justin Russo with the Golden Knights on Saturday, April 22nd, and the VGK are ready for battle up north against the Winnipeg Jets to determine who can grab a 2-1 series lead in Game 3. Vegas broke through in the final two periods of Game 2, and we'll see if that strong finish carries over to today's game for a VGK team that piled up 26 road wins in the regular season. Joining the show today is the voice of the Henderson Silver Knights, Brian McCormick, and he'll get you ready for everything you need to know for Game 3 between the Golden Knights and the Jets. Ebbs and flows... You know, as hockey fans, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we can all kind of agree that when you watch the Vegas Golden Knights in the postseason, you're living and dying with every moment, every shift, every period, every game. You're super invested, maybe a little over-analytical. And if we're being honest with ourselves, you could probably say that in the first two games of this playoff series between the Golden Knights and the Winnipeg Jets, maybe we haven't learned anything new that we've never heard before. But I think we've definitely been reminded of some universal truths, one of which is that the path to the Stanley Cup is very rarely ever a straight line. Hello friends, I'm Brian McCormick. This is VGK Today, and in Game 2, the Vegas Golden Knights respond. Prior to the Golden Knights' departure for Winnipeg and Canada Life Center, where they will play Game 3 of this series on Saturday afternoon, we were able to catch up with Bruce Cassidy, the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, and we'll bounce back and forth between his commentary and discussion of the first two games of this series for the Golden Knights. And, you know, going back to the idea of our investment and our uh, commitment to analyzing each moment of a playoff series, it's because playoff series feel so narrative driven you know we're always looking for what was the turning point what was the uh, the moment that uh, one team grabbed hold of the series took control dictated things I think we're always searching for that because that's just how our minds work uh, when we have two teams going head to head especially in a, in a seven game series where we get to find out who each team truly is it's in our nature to, to, to break down a series that way but I think that's also because it's the nature of the game and, you know, Bruce Cassidy has already said this week, and Dan Duva's echoed it a couple of times, and I'm going to paraphrase, but essentially it breaks down to, you know, when, th- when you're winning, you never think you're going to lose again. When you lose, well, you think you're never going to get a good break again. And I think we saw that in a nutshell over the course of game one and game two and the difference of approach between the Golden Knights in the locker room and the things that they were saying. And probably the fans who believed it were uh, ready for ready to erupt in Game 2, but maybe had to wait a little while to do it. So, you know, it's a very real part of postseason hockey momentum. Things can snowball for better or for worse, and often it's the teams with veteran experience who now have to harness that energy and attack those moments where the game is for the taking. Sometimes it's younger players who don't know any better and just have the energy and the hubris uh, to grab the game by the horns. But uh, we figured, you know what, it's uh, it's early in the playoffs, it's early in this series, but already we've seen a Golden Knights team that's been able to take advantage of opportunity knocking in Game 2 uh, and get their feet firmly set underneath them before their first road stands of this series. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk momentum. And I think we're going to start with uh, where it, you could feel it shift in Game 2 on Wednesday night. 
And for the Vegas Golden Knights, very clearly, it was in the second period of game two. We put them on their heels because we check better. That's usually the formula for our team because we can skate. We have enough physic- physicality. And when we recover pucks, we have the skill to get it to the, the danger area. So I think those things all came in, into play. And now all of a sudden, to me, second periods, it's hard to get out of the. If you're on the wrong side of the momentum, it's always hard to get it back because of the line change situation. You're always dumping pucks. Got the long change. By the time you get back, the team's back in your end. So we were able to take advantage of that and got the, you know, basically made a three-quarter ice game. So now you're on them, you're on them. And then we did good things with the puck on their end. So that matters too, right? You can't give it away and allow them to get out of that cycle. So it was good on our part to, to, to recognize that, hey, you know, smell blood a little bit in those situations, and, and we took advantage of it. The first shift of the second period, power play to start the second period, so that gives you a bit of uh, opportunity, offensive zone presence, uh, to, to get things started on the right foot. But in that second period, Mark Stone had three chances in the in a span of about 15 seconds. Couldn't bury, but uh, boy, did that seem to be a, uh, a hint for what was to come throughout the rest of the night. But you know, I, I, without question, game one wasn't what the Golden Knights wanted it to be. They admitted that themselves. They said, yep, you put it behind you, you get ready for game two. Probably there was a little bit of tension in the fans uh, in, in uh, T-Mobile Arena at the start of game two. During the anthem, during the pregame festivities, the roof was ready to come off of T-Mobile Arena. But in the first 15 minutes of the of the first period... Golden Knights were, again, a little on their heels, outproduced. Adam Lowry scores the power play goal on a redirect to give them a one nothing lead. And it just it felt like a nervous energy uh, to me. I think the, the, the moment where I noticed it, like this feels like a nervous building, was a save by Laurent Brassois, who was terrific in Game 2. But Kyle Connor breaks through, uh, gets around Alex Petrangelo, moves in on breakaway, and Brassois makes a great pad save, uh, which... Of course, that had he not made that save, that makes it two nothing Winnipeg. That can transform the energy of the entire of the entire game. Uh, and to, to emphasize, you know, we're going to talk about this too. It's not just important to win in the postseason. You're going to take every win you can get. You're going to take ugly wins. You're going to take uh, triple overtime wins where the puck bounces off of someone's forehead. You're not going to be picky. Having said that, there is meaning. There is value to when you find ways to win because your big names performed. And Bruce Cassidy said last night, he says, if you look at game one, look at the score sheet. Their big names are all over it. Ours aren't. Look at game two. Our big names are all over the score sheet. Theirs aren't. And that's usually going to be your difference. And it has been the difference. But Kyle Connor, if you're looking for a big name for the Winnipeg Jets against the VGK, well, Kyle Connor is it. 10 goals and 21 points in 14 career regular season games against the Golden Knights. Eight shots on goal last night for Kyle Connor. Eight multi-point games in his career against the Golden Knights. Kyle Connor gets it done against Vegas. And he had a chance to to really put the Golden Knights on their heels last night. And it was a, a big save by Brassois. But what I found interesting was I, I didn't hear the the roar from the crowd that I thought I would on the Brassois save. I heard an exhale. I heard a sigh of relief, <laughs> and I think for the Golden Knights, you know, that was it was a tentative first period, and in in the sense of like, okay, hey, when when are they going to get to their game? When are they going to get going? When are they going to start asserting themselves? Uh, and you just felt a, a palpable shift shift in in momentum 
I think starting with the four-on-three penalty kill at the end of the first period, that was absolutely significant, got them going. But then that first shift by Markstone in the second period really got things uh, moving in the in the right direction for the Golden Knights offensively, winning battles below the dots, winning battles below the goal line. They were starting to find an opening. Now, again, and Bruce Cassidy spoke to this too, that's great when you're working and you've got possession and you're, and you're dictating the pace of play. You've got to score goals too, though, and that's usually what's going to turn things on a dime. And William Carlson's goal in the second period that got the Golden Knights on the board. William Carlson's been phenomenal for the Golden Knights through two games. Uh, it was his work on the, on the goal. It was his work on Mark Stone's second goal, uh, pursuing the puck below the goal line, finding Mark Stone, who had just jumped off the bench. Really solid for the uh, for, for William Carlson, what he's been able to do, creating pressure in the offensive zone. But that was once that puck went in, you certainly could tell that the building had life and the building had energy, and that there was an opening there, an opportunity for the Golden Knights to get things started. For us, I think our guys recognize when you get a big save or an important kill. We knew the four on three was a big kill for us, so we carried momentum from that um, forward. But. Uh, usually it's the first goal right when we scored it was you know hey we're back in it here now we've got our game let's go and uh, I said I think that's what changed for us and that was Bruce Cassidy and and, uh, again for the Golden Knights if you look at that Carlson goal that's a puck that's lying between four Winnipeg defenders if you will I mean that's a puck that was up for grabs that's an opportunity for Winnipeg to clear and it's Carlson who finds that that puck in a scrum and beats Connor Hellebuck to get the Golden Knights on the board. So so that was where you could tell, okay, things are starting to shift a little bit. Um, but in the third period, of course, it's a big night for Mark Stone. And for Mark Stone, you know, everything he does uh, is so fundamentally sound. And that's not new. Mark Stone does the simple things well. It's And, and while he can make great plays, it's not flash or finesse. It's using his legs it's using his strength and cerebrally being in the right places at the right time and while Mark Stone had a challenging first game back in game one that's to be expected a guy who hasn't played in almost half a season it's impressive and encouraging for the Golden Knights how quickly he was able to find it back and be an impact player in game two it comes naturally to them, details of the game. And, and one thing about Mark is he's not a pace player, per se, where he relies on his legs to separate all over the ice. He's a cerebral player. He's instinctual, and he's got great hands. So those things will come back quicker. Sometimes your legs take a while. I'm sure he'd be the first to tell you. He's it's gonna he's going to have to keep working at it. And, and hopefully as the series and playoffs go along, he's, he's you know, he'll, he'll find the pace that he's comfortable with. But as I said, because he's a smart hockey player, I think it'll come back quicker for him. And I think it's it's you know it's interesting to to note. I saw so much commentary after game two that for Mark Stone, everyone loves expressive Mark Stone. Expressive Mark Stone is back. Well, absolutely, you enjoy that for the uh, the spectacle that it is. But boy, it's more than that. It it really is so much more than that in terms of how it swayed game two and the potential impact it has on the series to come you're happy for mark stone you like seeing him jump six feet in the air into the glass and in the the reckless abandon that he does but when i saw that reaction that wasn't just that wasn't mark stone celebrating for mark stone that was mark stone celebrating as the entire building was celebrating which is to say we've got our big guys in this series 
Again, we talked about it. If you look at the the score sheet, Alex Petrangelo had two assists. Phil Kessel had two points. Two goals and a helper for Mark Stone. William Carlson had a big night. A lot of the big names. Jack Eichel, of course, getting his first playoff goal. All the big names got involved. And if you're the Winnipeg Jets, you've got your own big dogs. You're going to expect them to respond in kind in the games that are to come in this series. But you know now, all right, this is going to be a dogfight where the best on best, their best are here to play. And to me, for Mark Stone's first goal, his first goal especially, it was the excitement of, of producing, but it was also recognition. I think the whole building recognized at that point, Mark Stone is going to be a factor in this series. And it just, I'll be honest, if you don't mind, I'm going to put my New York hat on for a second. My New York hat tells me from uh, when I grew up, the, the, the folklore of, you know, there's a reason why Nick fans revere Willis Reed hobbling out of the tunnel for Game 7. There's a reason why Joe Namath's guarantee carries weight. There's a reason why uh, Mark Messier guaranteeing a win but scoring a hat-trick to cap it off is significant. Because when we're having momentum conversations... Sure, momentum can be generated by the hockey gods, by a good bounce, by some good luck. Way, way more often than not, momentum in a series is created by people and by people stepping up big in big moments. And Mark Stone scoring twice and in the fashion that he did and helping put the game away in the third period, that's a narrative builder. That really is a narrative builder and just a huge lift for a VGK bench that was completely different from the second period onward than they were in the first four periods of this series. Golden Knights had 19 shots in the second period against Winnipeg in Game 2. 19 shots after being outshot 17-8 to in the first period. And if you look at what they did against Kyle Connor, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Mark Shifley, that, uh, that trio. Now again, we said uh, Kyle Connor had, had eight shots in the game, but in the second period... Two shots for Connor. The first, in the second period, one shot for Mark Shifley. They stifled that unit. And as Bruce Cassidy mentioned this morning, you know, you look for incidents, you look for opportunities in games, big hits, goals scored, big penalty kills or power plays to help you seize momentum. But sometimes there is a, a portion of the game that is most susceptible to those swings. And for Bruce Cassidy, it's second periods. Well, I think we've always talked about the second period. We were on the wrong side of it in game one. We, you know, we got we gave up two goals early, and we just did snowballed on us, and it's hard to get out of that. Um, you know, that's why you see I think it's probably one of the highest scoring periods in, in the NHL typically. If you take out empty net goals in the third period, I think it's just because of that. It's the long change, and then you get on the wrong side of things. And the second period was the difference-making period for Winnipeg in Game 1. It is the difference-making period for the Golden Knights in Game 2. Even though Kevin Stenland scores late in the second period in Game 2 to tie that game uh, headed to the third, Golden Knights had seized full control of the game in the second period. And, and you know, another thing that, that uh, was said after Game 2, Bruce Cassidy said, you know, it was time for us to play hockey at the start of the second period. And he said, I think our big guys pulled us into the fight. That's, again, if we're going to talk about momentum, who's creating it? Is it Alex Petrangelo jumping on Blake Wheeler in the first period? Sure, it made a, it created a shorthanded situation for the Golden Knights. And, you know, that that's not always going to be the most opportuned outcome. 
but it absolutely gave the Golden Knights some fire, some push. And as Bruce Cassidy said, he's, I didn't mind it. We were standing up for ourselves. It's at these moments, I think, that if you look at the Alex Petrangelos, the Alec Martinez's, when we're talking about players who have Stanley Cup pedigrees or players who have significant career playoff experience, I think sometimes we make the mistake of interpreting that as we have a team with playoff experience, we have a team with veteran leadership, we're not going to be the ones to make a mistake. We're going to be the team that is prepared and ready to go. Now, certainly, of course, you you want that. You aspire for that. But it's human nature. Every now and then, a team's going to falter. Every now and then, a team is going to have an outing like the Golden Knights had in Game 1 that isn't quite where they want it to be. I don't think the value is preemptive all the time in, well, we've got this experience, so we'll be, uh, we'll be better prepared than anybody else. I think the value shows itself once you've had a lull, once you've had a setback, are you going to respond properly? And I think what Bruce Cassidy says uh, with his leaders dragging his team into the fight and getting them going in the second period in game two, that's what they got. They got a veteran-type response. Well, that should be the, the benefit, right? I mean, no team is mistake-free just because they've you know, won previously. I mean, the other team is good too, right? They're, they're forcing you into certain things where forcing you into uncomfortable situations, etc. And if you don't manage them well then um, that's when you get in trouble. So that's what you hope experience will do is, okay, we're not managing this well, let's get it under control now, not, you know, three goals against later. You know, okay, we gave up one, we're not managing it well, or our line change, whatever the situation is, you know, sort of get guys to breathe and calm down and play, that's where experience comes in. And and you hope that that you you sort of correct things or get things back on track quicker. So if you're a Golden Knights fan, in the second and third period, you're thrilled with the uh, the return to the brand of hockey you got used to seeing all season. You're thrilled that the Golden Knights found it and did it resoundingly. Again, it's not just to win. You want to win convincingly. You want to win in a way, especially after uh, the Game 1's performance, you want to win in a, a way that makes Game 1 an anomaly. Game 2, periods 2 and 3 is what we really are, and that's how we put 5 on you fast. That's how we funneled almost 40 shots on Connor Hellebuck, uh, creating rebounds, creating opportunities, creating shots off turnovers uh, for a Winnipeg team that was pinned in their own end for long stretches of the second and third period. That's the message that you want to send before you go to Winnipeg. And now for a Golden Knights team that was terrific on the road this season, 26 road victories for the the Golden Knights this season, was tied for third in the Western Conference, fifth in goals against on the road this season, goals against per game. Uh, If you look at the Winnipeg side, they had their struggles throughout the season, but they were towards the top of the conference midway through this uh, this year before having some real spring challenges. So this is a Winnipeg team that their eighth seed in the conference probably is not uh, the best representation of their entire body of work this season, but they had 26 wins on home ice this season, did the Jets, tied for most in the Western Conference. They won five of their last six at Canada Life Center. So this is a team that plays well on home ice. Uh, but for the Golden Knights, who are so used to, to playing in the, the rocking atmosphere of the fortress, uh, is their value, is, there, uh, is it intriguing, is it just as rewarding to make the roof come off of T-Mobile Arena, can it be just as uh, satisfying to take a very loud Canada Life Center and make it go silent in Game 3? 
Well, we're comfortable on the road because of what you spoke about as well. Experienced guys have been in those hostile environments, and I think you take take it for what it is. I, I always love when the crowd's into it on the road because it gets you into it a little more too, right? So, um, you know, that that's a good thing, and um, we have to look at it that way. And to take the crowd out of the game to so they don't get juice from it, then, you know, you'd be the better team and, and take away the mo- big momentum shifts from them too as well. So... Uh, you can use it to, uh, both ways in that regard. And the Golden Knights are going to try to do just that. Again, Canada Life Centre, a, a smaller building than average in the National Hockey League, which is to say it is compact, it is a low ceiling, it is raucous, and it sounds like a freight train coming through your living room. So there's going to be energy in Game 3 on Saturday afternoon. The Vegas Golden Knights have to feel very good about everything they accomplished in Game 2. They're holding the hammer, and their best players are playing like their best players. Strap in for Game 3. I know Justin Russo is. I certainly am, Brian, and it should be an excellent game from Winnipeg today. And let's see if the Golden Knights can continue that road warrior mentality in the postseason. Of course, they were so good in the regular season on the road, but it's a different beast in the postseason. The energy ramps up, the crowds are louder, everything is more intense. So let's see if the Golden Knights can survive an environment like the Canada Life Center, which is a loud building, it's energetic, and especially with the whiteouts that they have there in Winnipeg, it it can be a bit intimidating. But as you mentioned, the VGK, they're used to playing in that type of environment at T-Mobile Arena for every home game. So let's see if they can harness that energy for good and silence the Jets fans this afternoon. Well, fans, though the team will play their next two games on the road, I want to remind you that Vegas Golden Knights' single-game tickets to the first round of the 2023 Stanley Cup playoffs are still on sale. You can secure your seat in the Fortress for select home games in round one or purchase a playoff strip and enjoy the same seats for every home game at a discounted rate. A limited number of tickets are still available at VegasGoldenKnights.com, so be sure to grab yours and experience the Vegas Golden Knights live at T-Mobile Arena. Of course, the next home game, now that the Golden Knights have tied the series at 1, will come on Thursday, still awaiting the official start time, but next home game for the VGK in Round 1 coming on Thursday against the Winnipeg Jets. That'll be Game 5 in their first round series. Also want to take a second to remind you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a moment of the team's quest for the Stanley Cup right here on VGK Today. Tomorrow, Dave Gosher and Aaron Elliott join the show to recap all the storylines from Game 3. Justin Russo signing off for Episode 6 of VGK Today, presented by MGM Rewards.